I guess we're all clear. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm going to share a short message. Uh, and let me just start off on a prayer and uh, just go with the, uh, start. Uh, dear God, just thank you so much for this, uh, this Sunday. And we just pray, Lord, that you continue to uh, just use this service, Lord, to continue to touch uh, people's hearts and to continue to transform um, people's hearts, Lord God. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys were here last week, I talked uh, about spiritual blindness. And so I wanted actually to take the opportunity for the next few weeks since I'm going to be preaching to just elaborate a little bit more on what I feel like God was putting on my heart uh, regarding this topic. And if you guys were here last week, you remember that I mentioned that this all started because uh, one of the things you can say that ignited this thought is that I went to one of the Bible studies that we had, one of our cell groups, and there was a Bible study. And the Bible study was on Mark chapter 10, 35 to 52. And this passage contains two stories. And one is about the request of James and John. And then the second story is about the blind Barmatus receives his sight. And I wanted to give a quick overview of Mark. You know, Mark was written somewhere, you know, people don't know the exact dates, but maybe say somewhere around 60 A.D., so it's like 30 years after the death of Jesus Christ. And actually some of the letters by Paul, the Pauline letters, they were already written at this time. So Mark was actually written after some of the Paul letters, the Pauline letters were actually written. And they were actually written 30 years after Jesus had already uh, died and resurrected. And people think that Mark was probably the first gospel written and that Matthew and Luke were based off of Mark. Right, so scholars think that Mark was the first one written, and then Matthew and Luke, they had Mark as a reference point when they were writing that. So the Christianity, this has already spread throughout the Roman Empire for like 30 years. Right? Churches have already been established. And then the author of Mark decides, hey, we got to write something. We got to document what's happening. We got to document what is happening with the life of Jesus Christ. And so when you think about that, the way that they put the stories in there, it is not by accident. It is something very intentional. And that's something I kind of want to share with you guys. When you guys do read the Gospels, a lot of times, I don't know about you guys, uh, but I know for me, before I went to seminary, how I read the Gospels oftentimes was I just like read these short stories and I kind of just take it, uh, I read that one story, I take what they're trying to tell me and I just, and I move, and I take the lesson, and I continue on uh, applying that into my life. But since I've been to seminary, one thing that I try to do now is I try to take a more holistic view on, like, what is the author trying to say? Why did they put the stories together? Uh, because oftentimes there's a reason why they put two stories together. And so that's why I wanted to take a look into this story and why they got paired together. And there's also a version of the story in Matthew 20 and Luke 18. But I, but I just want to look at the version that Mark writes. So while we read this passage together, I want you guys to keep in mind that, right? So I'm going to read one story, and then we're going to need, and maybe you, you guys already can go ahead and start processing your mind, comparing and contrasting these two stories. Another thing I want to mention before we read is that right before the passage talks about is that Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus actually tells his disciples about his death. And this is the third time 
that he mentions to his disciples about his upcoming death. So we're going to go turn to the scripture. So the request of James and John. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that is the first story. And then right after this story happens. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he st jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So the first thing I want to point out, I'm going to just point out many observations that I've seen and some of my interpretation of those. The first thing when I read the scripture is that right after it mentions that they're, they're on their way to Jerusalem, right, the very, in verse 35, James and John asks Jesus to do something for them, right? It's kind of weird, but okay. So they're like, hey, Jesus, can you do something for us? And so Jesus responds back in verse 36. He's like, what do you want me to do for you? And then verse 37 says, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. All right? And then 38, Jesus responds back saying, you don't know what you're asking. So why suddenly when they're on their way to Jerusalem, they start asking about, hey, can you do something for me? I want to sit on your left and I want to sit on your right. What, what is this importance about going to Jerusalem that caused James and John to say, hey, we need to ask something before we get there. <clears throat> this whole time, they were thinking Jesus as a Messiah in the way that David was a, 
was a king, and that he was, that Jesus came to establish a kingdom like how King David established a kingdom of Israel. And as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, they're thinking, this is, oh, it's about to happen. We've been following Jesus for so long, and now he's going to Jerusalem, and the big moment's going to happen. Like, this is what the time we've been waiting for. So, you know, before we get there, we better, like, try to establish our positions, right? Like, hey, Jesus, before, uh, before we get to Jerusalem, I just want to make sure my position's set. Like, I'm going to be, like, uh, you know, I'm going to be one of your generals. I'm going to be uh, one of your presidents, vice presidents. I'm going to be on your executive team. So even though they lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus for three years, they still didn't really know what Jesus' purpose was. It's interesting because Jesus says, you actually don't know what you're asking for. And it's interesting because in Mark chapter 15, 27, this is how Mark describes Jesus' crucifixion. If you remember, there's other people that got crucified with him. And Mark describes it this way. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. It's interesting because James and John, they wanted to be on the right and the left side of Jesus. But they didn't know that Jesus was actually going to get crucified. That's why he said, you don't know what you're asking for. They thought they were going to get positions of glory. But they didn't know that Jesus was actually going to Jerusalem to get crucified. But Jesus then does allude that eventually they will drink the same cup that Jesus drank. That they will have the same fate that Jesus had. And then he mentions that their positions are, is not something that he can grant, but it's something only that God the Father can grant. And so then when the other ten disciples heard that James and John were talking about this, they got really pissed off. They were like, man, I can't believe these guys were talking behind our backs with Jesus. You know, it's kind of like, it's like probably if like one of your like homeboys or one of your besties were trying to like uh, steal the person that you're interested in. Right? You know when that happens? I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys. I'm sure it never happened with you guys. But if it does happen, you guys know, like, when that happens, you get so irritated. Like, I can't believe they went behind my back. They knew I liked that person. Or they knew I was after that job. They knew I was after that position. I can't believe they went behind my back to try to get it. So that's how the other disciples felt. Like, I can't believe James and John, those sneaky guys, those sneaky guys, going behind our backs, trying to set up themselves for success while leaving the rest of us behind over here. I think if I had that perspective of Jesus too, right, we would all probably get very annoyed or very angry that someone was trying to steal our position. All right, and then Jesus then responds right away saying that, hey, actually in my kingdom, the kingdom that I'm going to establish, if you want to be great, you actually have to serve. You're going to be the slave of all that even the Son of God came not to be served, to, but to serve. And so he corrects them, saying, hey, the kingdom that I'm about to establish is something that even after many years living with me, you still don't get, but you're going to get it one day. It's to serve. 
is to be a slave of all and to give your life to be a ransom for many. Now let's compare that story with blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, he calls Jesus in a large, large crowd saying, Son of David, which is a messianic title, and he says to have mercy on him. Basically, he shouts in a large crowd, Jesus, please be kind to me. Please help me. Can you imagine someone at Ignite Service after service just yelling like, hey, Jason, help me. Be kind to me. Right? It would be kind of a little awkward, to be honest. Right? People would be like, oh, that's weird. But Blind Bartimaeus, he didn't care about being awkward or being weird. He knew who he was talking to. He knew who Jesus was. And it's interesting because in response to it, many rebuked him. And it's actually, a, it reminds you to a reference a couple verses before where the disciples actually rebuked the children that came to Jesus. And it's interesting it's because a couple verses before, Jesus is saying, hey, let the children come. You know, the disciples are rebuking the children, but Jesus said, hey, no, let them come. But yet again here, the crowd, they rebuke the beggar. And it continues to show how people are blind to the purpose of Jesus and what his real purpose is. And then it mentions in verse 50 that this beggar, he threw his cloak aside. And for a beggar, this is probably his most prized possession. Not only does it protect him from the elements, but if you were at Wednesday night prayer meeting, Pastor Chang also mentioned that this is probably where he hid his food. Right? He was a beggar. This is where he hid his food. This is his prized possession. And he was able to throw it away to pursue after Jesus. And that, and that is the opposite of the young, rich man a couple of verses before when Jesus says to sell everything and to follow him. He could not do it. But in this case, the beggar was able to give away everything, everything he had to follow Jesus. And then in verse 51, Jesus asked Bartimaeus the exact same question he asked his disciples earlier in verse 36. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And he responds back, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. And then Jesus says, your faith heals you. You receive your sight. And he follows Jesus. And what struck me, I remember at that time, is that in verse 30, in verse 36, and in verse 51, Jesus asks the exact same question. What do you want me to do for you? And I remember when we were going through that, I was like, that can't be a coincidence. That can't be a coincidence that the author of Mark wrote the exact same question, but there was two totally different responses. In one instance, the disciples, when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? The disciples answered back, let me be on your left and right hand side to be a part of your glory. But when they said it, it wasn't because they were pure of heart, but it's because they wanted the glory for themselves. But on the other hand, Jesus, the author of Mark contrasts that with saying, the beggar who had no physical sight actually had spiritual sight. And he said, I want to see. And that's what Jesus does. He came here to give a spiritual sight, to be able to see the kingdom of God. And I remember that was what hit me, that 
wow, like, when we go before God, God is asking us, what do you want us to do? What do you want me to do for you? And how many of us just go and say, God, I want to have a promotion. I, I want to have a girlfriend. I want to have more money. I want to, you can, the list goes on and on. I want to have A's. Those are all good things. But what is the, is that the first thing you're asking? Or is the first thing you're asking is, I want to see. God, help me see what you see. And I remember it just really struck me, even for myself, what was the questions I was asking God? Because God was asking, what do you want? And what was I putting before the Lord? Was I putting just my own agenda or my own glory or my own position and authority? Or was I really being humble, asking, Son of God, have mercy on me. Let me see what you see. So if I can have just the worship team con come on up. I had some more, uh, I had another parable for you guys, actually. <laughs> I think last time it was pretty enjoyable, right, the parable. But I, you know what, I guess I'm just going to have to save it up for next week. All right, so you guys have to come back next week. I got a parable for you. Uh, hopefully it kind of... Uh, it kind of helps you guys, uh, helps all of us to understand uh, the story a little bit better. But I'm just going to save it for next week. So I'm going to just make today's message very short and sweet. Is when God is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What is your response? You know, last week, I asked, where and what areas are you spiritually blind? And asked God to give you vision in that area. And really, that's the, I just wanted to hit that same message today, too. Because I know, for many of us, our problems are probably not going to get solved in one week. <laughs> it's probably something that takes time. And so it's something I just want all of us to continue to pray for is, God, can I continue to have spiritual sight to see what you see?